This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are now at our second week of Advent. And as we've talked about before, I love Christmas. I've always loved the Christmas season. I've always loved the Christmas music and Christmas movies and all the things that Christmas brings. I've loved the feeling and the spirit of Christmas, and I'm sure many of you do too. And when I think back on why I loved Christmas so much, I've had to be very honest with myself and had to look at maybe what things I was longing for as a kid in, in looking forward to Christmas. And I have to be honest and say that there were some very unhealthy reasons why I longed for Christmas. One of the main reasons why I loved the Christmas season is because I always saw Christmas as a temporary break in whatever the pain of our story was. I always looked at Christmas as a time where I could take a break from some of the heavy brokenness in our own family, in our own lives, in our own communities. It was just a time where I could just press pause and just enjoy, just for a moment, a time of joy, at least on the surface, a time of excitement, a time of expectancy. But deep down, I know that I was probably longing and hoping that that break in the pain would actually bring some sort of healing. And it never did because it was just a temporary moment. So my understanding of Christmas in many ways was not nearly as holistic as it needed to be. I suspect that uh, for you, for many of us, when there are times of deep pain and deep suffering and deep sorrow and deep uncertainty, uh, Christmas can be a bittersweet time because many times it's the Christmas holiday and we're supposed to be full of good cheer and we're supposed to be excited and happy and joyous and effervescent and bubbly, all of those things we're supposed to be. And in many ways, we feel like we're not even allowed to be sad or we're not allowed to be truthful about the things that are painful in our story or painful or are broken because we're supposed to conjure up the joy and conjure up the happiness. So we're supposed to be told why we should still be happy and joyous in the midst of some of our pain. Ultimately, Christmas becomes a way to conveniently hide from real pain. And then when you mix in the, the, the religiosity of the holiday, you're almost taught that God wants you to hide from your pain. You're almost guilted into well, you've just been too blessed to be stressed, so you just need to give it to God and keep on praising and enjoy life, when really that's not how real life works. Really what that is, it sounds holy and it sounds religious and it sounds godly, but really it's a call into untruthfulness. It's a call into not being honest about what real pain is. Then you're taught, God wants me then to hide from my pain. It's a weird mix and a weird message. And so for those of you for whom Christmas can be really sad, for those of us who have lost loved ones, the holiday seasons can be really sad. For those of us going through really difficult times right now, the holidays can be really sad. 
So the question then is, how does God meet us in the midst of our brokenness and our sadness? Does he? Maybe a better question is, is there space in the Advent season to embrace our own sadness and brokenness with hope? Is there space for that? Can we hold multiple things at the same time? Well, our text today is going to show us that Advent does bring real peace, a peace without hiding, a peace without having to do evasive maneuvers to avoid just for the time being. Many times Christmas season uh, encourages us to practice what now has been coined toxic positivity. This idea of just being positive for the sake of keeping the air in the room light. Being positive just for the sake of keeping the mood a certain kind of way. In other words, don't tell the full truth about a thing because it's going to make everybody else feel too bad. Or it might make you feel too bad. Instead, embrace a little bit of this positivity that might not be altogether true, might not be real for you, but it's, it's almost like jump on this roller coaster and you'll enjoy it for the time being. But Advent, Advent invites us to a thorough, robust peace that never requires you to hide. Our text is going to come from the book of Luke, the first chapter of Luke. It's a story in which we get invited into real uh, silence. We're, we're invited into silence with Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. You, you get, you, we know the story, we're going to read it in a minute, but listen to the ways in which the truth and the real pain and uncertainty is on display. And how when Jesus, Jesus, the announcement of Jesus' arrival or his coming, the advent of the Messiah, look at how God meets them, not in a place where they're hiding, but in a place where they are honestly engaging Real pain, real uncertainty, real suffering, real uh, hard situations. Listen to how God engages and what he says. Luke chapter 1, we're going to read uh, the first 20 verses of, of this chapter. Verse 1, many have undertaken to complete a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. 
There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And here's the key. Zechariah says, how can I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story sets up an, an interesting drama for us, and, and it really shows, I mean, it's the ultimate story of this couple that goes from barrenness to this, uh, this version of peace, and we see this story, right? Like, like them, if you really think about it, here you have Zechariah, this priest, serving in the temple. He's married to Elizabeth, the daughter of a priest. These were folks who were righteous. They followed God. There was not any type of like sin. They weren't living in any sense of consequence, right? They had been obedient. They had been blameless. And yet, they were barren. They were broken. They were waiting. With, with a sense of shame. And they were doing it in silence. They were doing it quietly living in a place of what they thought were unanswered prayer. And like them, many of us, many of you share in that space, share in that place, a place where your own unanswered prayers or your own hopes deferred uh, have really created a sense of longing a sense of loneliness, and even a sense of silence. Because again, a lot of times, especially during Christmas, not even encouraged to talk through that, not even encouraged to, to name that, not even encouraged to just say, this is really hurtful. This is really hard. I'm living in a really hard place. And I'm either getting a, a there's a hope that's been deferred or maybe even denied, and I don't know. And I'm waiting for some, I'm waiting for an answer that gives me hope but it looks like the answer that's been given is not giving me any hope. For too many of us, instead of hope, we're left with disappointment. We're left with anger. We're left with frustration. And Luke here, and by virtue, God is inviting us into a better story. A story of a God who is transformed from, from, from the, the listening God into the God that acts in any number of ways. And we see how he acts for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Again, this couple that's holy, righteous, blameless before God, faithfully serving, and yet living in a place of real silence and wondering and uncertainty. What do we do here? So Luke is gonna use this drama of Zechariah's life and Elizabeth's life and their silent hope to set up the type of silent hope we still should be clinging to in Advent. Because Advent invites us. Yes, we sing out and we enjoy and we laugh and we're loud and we're boisterous, but it also allows and, and invites us into a place of silence, silent hope. Sometimes there's a silent suffering, silent pain, married to 
to a silent hope. And we know from verse 7 that, yes, the real pain that they were living in was because they were childless. And as the scripture says, Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they had been both advanced in years. These were just facts. Sometimes when we are trying to reach to be positive, we ha- we're told to deny actual facts. But the facts are, these are the things that are happening. The facts are, these are the things that are painful. And I need to be able to even engage God and hope God will engage me while still telling the truth about what is painful. And it is from this this barrenness that Elizabeth and Zechariah had been living in and this silent hope that they've been living in, it's through that that this real peace is birthed. Look, as followers of Jesus, the historical Jesus as revealed in the scriptures, when we follow that Jesus, we know that peace is never the absence of trouble. It, It can't be. Peace is never the absence of trouble. How do we know that? Well, John 16, 33, what, what, uh, what does it say? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we know that peace and trouble are not diametrically opposed. We know that they're not mutually exclusive. In other words, there's got to be something deeper, something that we cling to in the midst of trouble. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Now, we hope that certain troubles will abate because of people engaging in who God is and the heart of God and people caring about community. But at the end of the day, peace does not mean necessarily the the absence of trouble. Peace then is what is created when we become secure. There's a sense of security in being in God's provision and knowing that he cares for our well-being. Peace comes from God and it is dependent on him and his loving presence in our lives. That loving presence does not mean that God is only present when things are good. That loving presence means that God is also present when there's trouble when there's pain, even in our silence, even when we're not getting an answer that we really, really want. And that can be hard to believe that God is there. Or it can be hard to believe God might be there, but does he still care? Does he still love? Does he still have deep uh, uh, concern? And does does he have a deep concern for and compassion for what it is that I'm dealing with and what it is that I'm carrying? Because if I'm forced to go through the Christmas season and act like everything is just great all the time, then internally I'm going, well, I'm the only one that's going to care about my real pain right now. It's definitely not God and it's definitely not you because you don't want to be bothered with my pain during the Christmas season. So I know I can't bring it to you. And it sounds like I'm supposed to keep it from everybody. I'm going to hide it from you and hide it from God. But God shows us that it's not so. He shows us that it's not so. And this is why There's a saying that we love to say, I've said it, we've probably had sermons where it's been quoted at times, but the more I live and the more we engage with real life, I think this phrase is one that could be a little dangerous. And the phrase is, no Jesus, no peace, meaning if you don't know Jesus, there is no peace, and then no Jesus, no peace. In other words, it's this two no's, right? N-O and K-N-O-W. 
If there's no Jesus, there's no peace. But if you know Jesus, you will know peace. It's trite, it's pithy, it's, there's truth in it, but in many ways, it reduces the complexity of life into a statement that's based in truth, but denies the hardships, denies the suffering, denies the pain that many of us, many of us are living in as we try to develop a life of peace, right? So it's, we've got to go beyond bumper sticker phrases, and Christmas time is full of bumper sticker phrases. But none of us live a bumper sticker life because none of us live bumper sticker pain. We live full, voluminous novels of pain. So we need something more than a pithy phrase. So we need to be able to engage something. We can't just have a trite statement in with which we, we uh, 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 just quote like a mantra vanquishing all of our problems. And yes, the statement's based in truth. Yes, we see that, but we don't want to deny the pain that's there. So there's this peace that we're trying to attain. We're trying to live a life that gives us real peace even in the midst of our suffering and in the midst of our silence. And we derive this peace from our relationship, our dependence, and our reliance on God. And that may look really messy. Because sometimes relying on God means bringing our complaints to God, honestly. God, I don't know why this is happening like this. God, I don't know why the answer seems to be this. God, I don't even know that I even like the way these things are happening. Doesn't mean that we don't believe God is there, but we're just like, Lord, I, I don't know what to do with this. Lord, I'm angry because of what's happening right now. Lord, I'm hurt because of what's happening right now. If you think that trusting God and praising God means just giving toxic, toxic, toxically positive prayers back to God, you're missing it. Over a third of the Psalms are complaints, are are people crying out to God saying, why is this happening? People crying out to God saying, this is happening in my life and it's breaking me. That is the book full of praises. So if your praise and your prayer doesn't include your pain, you're doing it wrong. If Christmas, if Advent does not create a place where we can yearn for peace and long for peace while living and engaging and sharing in our pain and our brokenness, we're doing it wrong. Peace is found when we continue in our relationship with God honestly Sharing these things, that's what it means to really be steadfast. Steadfast is not just keep just saying things back to myself that make me feel better, even though the truth says something else. Steadfast means, God, I'm going to keep telling you the things that are happening, even my complaints, because I'm relying on you to sustain me in the midst of it somehow, because I can't do it. I'm relying on you to be able to, to, to help me keep Whatever it is about you that needs to still be true, I'm relying on you to do it because I don't have it in me anymore to just do it on my own. This is what real peace is, not the pithy saying. So in this text, when we focus on the barrenness of Elizabeth, Luke is invoking an image. Luke is basically saying the creator, God, is the master of all life. This harkens back to, to, the, to the, uh, the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 64. Yet, Lord, you, 
are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the works of your hands. But Luke doesn't just want to engage your mind and make you remember these things about God. Luke is wanting to engage our emotions as well. Luke is wanting us to feel something for these righteous priests, these faithful servants to God. Do you see this in the midst of the arrival of both John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, and eventually the Messiah? These happy things are happening, and yet Luke wants us to engage their pain. He wants us to see where the suffering is. He wants us to be able to engage that. So during the first Christmas season, the first Advent, they're invited. We are invited to see real pain, which means every Advent we are invited to acknowledge and engage real pain. And here they are sitting here in this emotionally hard place, and we're invited to enter into their pain and suffering. And he's really prompting us to ask this question. How is it, and listen, I know that some of us have asked this question too. How is God just to deny these righteous, holy, blameless servants of God? The only thing that they're seeking. They're not out here doing crazy things. They're not out here, you know, defaming God. They're not out here harming people. They are serving God. They are faithful. The Bible says they are blameless. And they're only asking for one thing, a child. Do you see how Luke is really inviting us into what they would be viewing as the injustice of their situation? And he's inviting us in to go, you should be able to identify this on some level in some part of your life. There are things that we are longing for, things that probably we think should be and are not. And we're like, Lord, where are you? And you know when those things become emphasized most during the holidays? A lot of times, specifically relational things that you're longing for, things that have been hurtful, things that have been, that have broken you. It's an interesting thing during the holiday season, especially during Christmas, at least for me, you can tend to think about those things even more. Supposed to be the most joyous time, but it's a time where you also are a a little bit more uh, focused. You can be thinking through, contemplative about some things that have been hard and painful. And this is what Luke is setting up for us. Luke is setting us up and he's about to pull the rug out from beneath us because just as Israel is crying out for rescue, crying out to God, the creator, asking him to mount his rescue mission to restore peace, the very shalom of God. Luke then moves us into the miracle of new life coming from a barren place. Luke is basically saying, pause. What God is doing in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, pause. He's going to do for the entire world. This idea of bringing real peace in the midst. You don't appreciate peace until you understand how barren things were first. You don't appreciate real joy until you, uh, until you understand just how broken things were first. We can't appreciate Advent if we don't engage in the very brokenness, pain, and uncertainty that we also live in this very day. Here, Luke is showing us that God is birthing peace from the silence. He's birthing peace from the suffering a peace that is going to incarnate love itself 
a peace that indeed promises to restore what's been broken, promises to heal what is hurting, ushers in justice and brings dust to life. I don't know about you, but I know that many of us can fall into the trap of believing these false narratives about God that we have heard or that we tell ourselves, God must not care. Look, that, you don't have to lie about it. You don't, gotta, you don't have to fake it. We can be honest. There are times where some of us are like, this is happening and this is happening. God must not care. There are some deep tragedies that I know many of you have, that I have, that when I look back, it's hard at times to go, how could a loving God be present when these things happen? We need to be able to engage that. We need to be honest about that because that's where God meets you. He doesn't meet you in creating lies about what's happening in your life as if you're just trying to, you know, uh, uh, cozy up to God or make him not feel so bad. God can handle it. This, there's a time where we can fall into that trap because of what's happened. These hard things have happened. God must not care. And what Advent is supposed to show us is that's not true. He does. And he meets you there. This is the God who hung the stars. This is the God who knows each star by name. The God who formed you. The God who shaped you in your mother's womb. This is the God who knows the, the number of every hair on your head, or in my case, every follicle that's still alive. This is the God who, who knows you better than you know yourself. The all-seeing, all-knowing God. This God is powerful. This God is wonderful. This God is able to do something amazing. And this is what Luke is declaring. Now, Luke isn't always saying that the same remedy that happened here for Elizabeth and Zechariah is the same we'll all get. What he's saying is you, the, the hope of a God who loves and a God who transforms and a God who brings life, keep clinging to that God. I can't tell you what that is going to look like, but I can tell you God promises to meet you right where you are and show up somehow, some way. And so now Luke is declaring that this is the God who brings life from barren places, wombs, and that the world has called cursed. Back then, the amount of shame that would be on a woman in these situations, it was horrific. It was sad. It was heavy. So the world at the time would call people cursed when things like this would happen. To walk around feeling like that, to walk around going, Lord, I'm the one that believes in your blessedness, and yet here I am being looked at as cursed. How was that loving? And God says, I meet you. I meet you there. The places where people call broken, God promises to bring life. He promises to bring peace from lifeless places. He calls forth new life. Life that will be used to save, to heal, to guide. And in this case, to prepare us for the coming kingdom. Luke is introducing us to this story-changing God the good and beautiful God that Jesus referred to as Abba. This God who is always at work in his creation, bringing about healing and restoration. This Christmas, this Advent, are you able to acknowledge 
that you need this real story-changing God in your story right now. You see, that's what Advent should bring us into. Not just uh, surface-based joy and happiness, but there should be a sense of, of always longing for the story-changing power of God. That's why we have to engage in what is broken and what is hurtful and what is painful, because that is the reservoir from which we draw to keep clinging for peace and clinging to hope and begging for God to not just come, but to always be coming, to always be showing up. We are, we are begging, we are longing for Advent all the time. Do you need the life-changing, story-changing power of God in your life? Do you need the listening God to be the answering God? Because that's what Advent is. Most of us, we know, listen, a lot of us, even if we don't get the answer to prayer we want, we know God is a listening God. That's why it's always dangerous when people are like, well, I know God hears my prayers. Well, okay, he hears your prayers. That doesn't mean the answer is what you want. He just hears them. But Advent says the listening God is also an answering God. And we long for that. So let's go back to peace again. Peace is cultivated in places of silence. Peace is, uh, finds us in places where we are still, when we are in the calm. Look back at the story again, right? Look at chapter 1, verse, eight, uh, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, what did he say? How can I be sure of this? He walks through. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and you'll not be able to speak until this day. Uh, uh, so the day that this happens, because you didn't believe my words and uh, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, listen, most of us traditionally look at this part of the text. We look at this interaction between uh, Gabriel and Zechariah and we look at it as a holy punishment. That's how we look at it. Well, Gabriel or uh, Zechariah has been punished because he did really what most of us would do. Let's just be honest. Like he's not an aberration here. He did what a lot of us would do. He questioned. He raised an objection. He echoed the cry of most of our hearts. God, will you really do what you promised to do? God, are, are, are you really loving God, are, are you really compassionate? God, are you still in the business of changing stories? You see, this is something that all of us, if we're honest, do. And Zechariah ultimately did the very same thing. Put another way, uh, we're all asking the same basic question of God. God, can you be trusted? That might sound like craziness for some, but at the heart, in our heart of hearts, Many times, especially when there's been pain and suffering, we are asking the question, God, can you be trusted? And maybe we don't say it, but certain ways that we function in our lives demonstrate that. God, can you be trusted? Even when we go into patterns of sin, we go into patterns of sin and we begin to trust some of these patterns to bring comfort because we at the moment have answered the question, no, God can't be trusted. I trust this more. But even if we're in patterns of just pain and brokenness, we're still asking that question. God, can you be trusted? And the funny thing is, we will never be able to experience peace until we learn to exercise trust. And that is hard. 
It's just hard. Sometimes it feels impossible, especially when there are hard, very painful, sometimes tragic things that happen. I don't mean to, to, to understate that at all. Because I, 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 for myself, continue to deal with the wounds of deep tragedy and continue to ask the question. I know what my head says and I know what my faith says and I know what my said theology says that you can be trusted. But my functional theology is always asking the question, but can you? And Advent is supposed to answer that question over and over for us. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. So Zechariah isn't the first, and, he, and he's certainly not the last. He's definitely not even the first person we encounter in Scripture who struggled with the idea of whether or not God can really be the God of the impossible. But he and his wife had a whole lifetime of disappointment, of shame, and longing to consider that maybe God had just forgotten them. God had forgotten their prayers. God had forgotten their pleas. Maybe God was just satisfied with leaving them where they were, wounded, hurting, broken. And in this silence, they somehow struggled to find peace. Because listen, I'm not saying that God would be any less God had he not chosen to allow for John the Baptist to be born there. Let's be very careful to not assume that this must mean in order for God to show up, he has to absolutely give us every single petition of our heart. I'm not saying that. What I am saying though is, God somehow keeps promising, I'm going to show up and give you my peace, even in the midst of the brokenness. And it might look like this. And it might look like getting the answer to the prayer that you wanted. It might look that way. I pray that it absolutely does. But more than that, fighting for where peace is in the midst of our silence, in the midst of our silent places, in the midst of our brokenness, somehow in that we're supposed to find peace. And if we want peace to be birthed within us, then we're going to need to welcome opportunities for silence. Opportunities for silence to create space for it. This kind of shalom peace, it arises from the hope in our God, the creator. It arises in a God whose ways are far beyond our control. So when we create places of silence and we wait in a posture of trust, surrender, and hope, we cultivate peace. Look, sometimes our silence comes as an invitation. Many times, other times, we're pulled in to silence by our need for it. And yet other times, we are pushed into silence. I call it kind of a pulled, pushed, or shoved into silence. And listen, you live long enough, you're going to experience all three. There'll be times where you're just invited in, which is awesome. You're invited into a place of silence where you can voluntarily move into a place where you can engage some things deep in your heart and engage deep pain and suffering. And there are going to be times where you are just shoved into that thing because things that you didn't see coming, things that you did not expect, they come on you like a flood and you don't know what else to do. And you're stuck. You're in a place where you just have to be silent. Maybe some might call a holy shove. And so wherever you are, as we take up residence in our own solitude, see, that's where Advent should take us. It should invite us into taking up residence, even in a small way or a small place of real solitude and silence under the tree of our doubts, under the tree of our fears, under the tree of our questions, under the tree of our unfulfilled longings. 
And it's there that we begin to find ourselves in, in good company because God meets us there. God promises to meet us there. Elizabeth experienced God's loving provision and his loving presence for them, his care for them, his well-being, their well-being, that gift of peace under that tree, under that tree of brokenness and sadness and longing. So in, in many ways, this Advent season, how are you longing? Are you taking up residence under that tree for a little bit? Are you taking some time to go, what areas am I still longing for God to show up? Because Advent is this promise, this reminder, and this promise that he promises to show up, show up in our places of deepest need. And we only really acknowledge our deepest need where, when we're in that place of silence, when we're in that place of stillness, in that place of quiet. So consider this invitation of silence. Consider even a time during this Advent season for you to just sit in silence. And in sitting in silence, even metaphorically speaking, that means sitting in a place of some, some heaviness as well. And it might even mean, and it should mean, sitting in silence with others in solidarity. Those, listen, there are a lot of folks, if you're having a great time and you're joyous and you're happy, that's awesome. But there are people within your community who are hurting and they want to be invited in. To, or they would love for you to, to offer, hey, I'd love to just sit with you. Or I'd love to know how you're doing. I'd love to know how you are carrying some things right now. I'd love to know, not in a way so that I can pat myself on the back and say, yay, I got to be supportive for a person. But in many ways, this is what Advent should be doing in the same way that Luke invites us to sit in the silence and the pain of Zachariah and Elizabeth. We should be invited in and inviting others into ours. Whether we're suffering or whether we are well. We are sitting in a place right now, recent events over the last couple of years, 18 to 24 months of incredible grief, of incredible suffering. Hundreds of thousands, even millions of people all over the world have lost their lives succumbing to this horrific pandemic. And as certain things seem to be getting better, there's still a large number of people for whom it is not. And even as we, uh, whatever it looks like to come out of this pandemic, and whenever we're certain that we are coming out of that pandemic, whenever that happens, there still are a lot of people left holding broken pieces. There are people who are uh, right now in my home state of Michigan who are, who are mourning because of the brokenness in our own society, the brokenness in other people. And there are four families who are not going to have their children around the Christmas tree, who are not going to have their children during the holiday season. And for them, toxic positivity will not, cannot work. How do they long for peace? How do you long and hold on to and cling to peace? The answer is not toxic positivity. The answer is not hiding from your brokenness. The answer is sitting in our suffering and in our silence and longing for God to come. Rejoicing in a God that has proven that he comes, proven that he shows up, and longing for him to continue to do so. Inviting people into our own suffering and pain and, and, and making ourselves open. Sometimes, I get it, sometimes people talk about compassion fatigue and, and all of that. Advent should be the season where we, where we have our strongest showing of compassion. 
Advent should be the place because that's where people tend to have their heaviest burden because that's when they stop and think about this past year, all that has happened, all that has occurred. The things that have caused outrage, the things that have caused grief, the things that have damaged relationships. In addition, some of you have experienced your own crises, your own grief, your own disappointments, your own hurts in your personal lives, your own hurts in your working relationships. And so as the body of Christ, as the church, we come together in his name, we call on him the one who has the power to unite us, not in places where we don't tell the truth about what's hurting us, but unite us in the very places where we are in pain. And he uses us as instruments of his peace. So listen, we're not just longing for peace. We are longing to be transformed into people that bring peace, into people that make peace, people that bring real solidarity. We can sit with each other in silence and pain. We're not leaving each other to sit alone. We're not leaving each other to just sit and play nice and fake happy during the holidays so that nobody else has to feel down. We are being in a place where we can sit and say, I love you, I care for you, and I'm sitting with you. I'm not trying to solve every problem. I'm not trying to give you pithy statements and aphorisms. I'm just going to be here with you and long for God to show up in the way that you need him to show up. So my invitation to you is wherever you are, sitting, standing, whoever you're in community with, be there in solidarity with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we live our lives in submission to the Prince of Peace. We live our lives in submission to the one who has brought peace and is always bringing peace. And there's no better time to be remembering that and to be embodying that than Advent. I'll close with this famous prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And he says this, O Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, unity. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is error, truth. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is sadness, joy. And where there is darkness, light. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Pray with me. Father, thank you even that you, um, that you promise to meet us, not just in the places where we have gone to hide from our pain and to hide from our suffering, but you meet us in the place where suffering exists itself. You promise to meet us and show up and somehow bring your peace and your life-changing, story-changing power. Father, I don't know all of the travails of the people who are listening or watching this message. I don't know all of the longings and the things that people are, are, are petitioning you for. 
But God, I pray that however, however those things have been made manifest, I pray that you would show up and bring your story-changing, life-changing power, whatever that looks like. It may be the very answer, the affirmative answering of people's prayers. Or it may be the affirmative presence that you, in ways that you show up and undergird and uphold and strengthen and bring comfort and bring peace in the midst of whatever it is that people are going through. God, we are thankful that you are a God that promises to not just, we don't just recognize and rejoice in the fact that you have shown up and that you have shown up in this, in your son Jesus to come, that you have, that in coming you have reconciled us to yourself. But God, we take great joy and we take great hope and we find great peace. And I pray we enlarge that, that you enlarge that peace that says that you are always coming that you are always showing up, that you are always meeting us in this place of hurt and pain. And you promise, the one thing you promise is that you give us a peace, not just a peace that we get to define our own way, but a peace that defies logic, a peace that goes beyond anything that we can understand. This peace that passes all understanding, the peace that guards our hearts and minds, through Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that we would not be a people during this Advent season that finds joy in hiding. But Lord, let us find joy in your peace in the very silence, the silence that we need to sit in as we, as we think through and engage the things that are broken. Because it's only then that we can long for and rejoice in your peace. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Amen. Let's receive this final blessing. This Advent season, this should be a blessing that does give us a sense of peace, a sense of calm, something that we can even think on when we're in those places of silence. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Merry Christmas. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.